Hey, Rob. What do you think of our funky new football in Berkshire branding? They're great, Tom. Who's made them? They've been created by friend of FIB, Ellis Woods, who runs his own creative agency, Flair Media. He's heavily involved in grassroots football and kindly sponsors this very podcast. That's great. What else do they do? Well, it's funny you should say that, Rob. Ellis offers affordable digital marketing, digital and print branding like logos, banners, flyers and business cards, as well as website content creation and management. Go and have a look at flaremedia.online and tell Ellis we sent you. Hello and welcome to Berkshire Football Stories with Tom Canning and Rob Davis, a podcast that aims to dig deep into the history of the non-league and grassroots game across the county. We'll be working across the county from north to south, east to west, looking for the stories, the quirky moments and all the best that our local game has to offer. I'd like to introduce my co-podder, Rob, uh, who will be charting the various points of interest along the N4 corridor with me. Hello, Rob. Hi, Tom. How are we doing? Yeah, pretty good, thanks. Have you been to a game this week? I haven't, no, but um, I'm planning to go to one at the weekend. Uh, Woodley are hosting the league leaders, Risborough Rangers, so oh, I think that, that might be a... Yeah. Yeah, they might need some support for that one. So yeah. Yes, that, yeah, that, I think because Risborough played Wokingham the other week, didn't they? And they, they did, I can't remember the outcome, I think Correct, they won yeah. on penalties. Did yeah, they, they did, that yeah, that was in the cup, this is the league, but Risborough haven't lost all season, yeah. so... It's going to be an interesting game. Unfortunately, I doubt we'll see Mr Ainsworth uh, playing in that, not, I think no. it's weeknights only, and I imagine... I imagine if it was the following week during the international break, although the league won, so there would be no international break at all. For, no, for that's right. Yeah. So, yeah, unfortunately, no Ainsworth, I would expect. But, yeah, that, that's down at Scarrows Lane, I assume that one is. Correct, yeah. So, will you be popping into uh, a certain brewery beforehand? Yeah, I might uh, Yeah, I might just pop into Double Barrel to see how it goes, <laughs> yeah. Excellent stuff. Um, if you'd like to contribute, ask a question, offer a correction, or simply rave about the podcast online, then you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at FI Berkshire, Facebook by searching Football in Berkshire, and of course you can visit the website at www.footballinberkshire.co.uk. Right, let's tell you a little bit about the podcast then. We've recorded four interviews so far. You heard us speaking to Wokingham and Embrook President Mark Ashwell in episode one. Steve Jimman in episode two, and we recorded interviews with John Underwood and Neil Baker, the Slough Town Managers, and former Sandhurst Town Managers Pete Browning and Steve Stairs, and Ascot United Director of Football, Neil Richards, who is the subject of episode three. He is indeed. This one has coincided quite nicely uh, with the reopening of the club's ground uh, after a bit of, re- of a refurb. I've been down there. It looks absolutely fantastic. Oh, wow. um, went down to meet Neil when I recorded this interview. Um, the race course ground has had an artificial pitch installed and plenty of work done around the pitch. Uh, it really, I think it's going to be really, really superb. And we're both hoping to go down to the opening night on Tuesday the 8th of October. Absolutely. When they host Guildford City. I think I'm, we will talk about that a little bit in the second half of our kind of conflab. In the meantime, though, let's have a listen. I've come to meet Neil Richards, Director of Football at Ascot United. We are going to have a bit of a chat about uh, the club, Ascot United Football Club, uh, the racecourse ground. One thing I've always wondered, is it the racecourse ground or is it Ascot Racecourse? Is it, what is it, Neil? Hello. Hi. Uh, <laughs> uh, thanks for coming down, Tom. Um, that's a good question. I think we've naturally started to call it the racecourse ground yep. and it actually feels right. It feels yep. like the right thing to call it. Um, our address isn't very um, isn't very good actually. It's car park seven and eight <laughs> yes. of the racecourse, so we don't really want to refer to it as that. We'd prefer to call it the racecourse ground. Nothing particularly romantic about a sort of car park seven. Not really, um, no. Unless you could sort of get sponsorship from NCP or something like that. But yeah, and and at Royal Ascot, obviously all the coaches turn up, and we're not allowed here anyway. So yeah. <laughs> 
also uh, coming in, I, I, I forget every time I come here, one of the few grounds in the country with a, with a miniature railway running alongside it as well. Yeah, so uh, we share an entrance and there's a steam uh, railway which runs down between the golf course and the football club. Yeah. So, um, which it's unusual, you don't see those no, that don't. often. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we, we, we share an entrance and we, we sort of keep, keep our distance, but yeah. yeah. So, uh, so there's no sort of crossover between football and, and miniature steam railways? Uh, not at the moment, no, no. <laughs> One for the future. Though, we right? did have, um, we played Shildon in the Vars a couple of years ago, and they're known as the Railway Men. Oh, yes. And they brought uh, two or three hundred fans, so they were quite excited <laughs> by the fact there was a railway here. Excellent, excellent. So um, we, we're in the clubhouse. We're, we're talking, we're, the clubhouse itself is actually quite new, relatively speaking, as well, isn't it? But we're, we're actually here to talk about what's going on at the ground at the moment, because just looking behind me, there's quite some significant groundworks going on, quite a way into a project to layer an artificial surface and um, I wanted to just kind of obviously the, the, the Berkshire Football Stories podcast kind of a bit of a story about the history but also you know what's going on at clubs at the moment and, and this feels like quite a momentous point in time for Ascot United so uh, let's take it right back to the beginning what happened how did you start thinking about a, a 3G 4G whatever we're calling it an astro an artificial surface yeah that's uh, the other question I have to ask 3G I don't think 4Gs exist right um, so when we talk to our the, the contractors we refer to it as a 3G okay um, so yeah if we, we, we went if we would go back two to three years now that we we felt we had an opportunity at one stage where we were potentially going to get a benefactor right. who talked to us about investing in a 3G pitch. So at the time, as a, as a board and as, a, as an executive, we wanted to talk about the options and did we feel that was the right thing to do. We discussed that, we looked into the viability of it, and we did really believe it was the right thing to do yeah. and move forward. However, it, it was all too good to be true, and that benefactor <laughs> didn't actually um, come through. But nonetheless, we decided at that point it was the, still the right thing to do. So as a club, we then decided we would look at another route to fund it, yeah. so we began the conversation with the Football Foundation. And, and so, obviously, a club just up the road, Bracknell, recently, well, I say recently, in the last two years or so, got their own uh, 3G surface. Did that sort of make you think, right, we definitely want to do this? Did, what, did you look at that and think, that's something we should really definitely be, or, or was this just something that was always going to happen? I think, um, no, potentially it, it might not have happened. We, we, we initially spoke as a group of directors, then we put in a steering group who went out and talked to our members, um, talked to a lot of people around um, the benefits of doing it and possibly the pros and cons. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't an easy decision initially. There was some resistance within the club, um, some traditional thought yeah. views on it, we should be playing football on grass. But ultimately, we're a community football club and we want to do what we can for the whole membership. And we felt that bringing as much of the membership back to, to our ground yeah. to, uh, for training and for playing matches was more important. And therefore, delivering a 3G pitch would, would be a way to do that. And so, yes, I suppose you, you say sort of bringing bring in the community into the club. There's, there's some extra bits as well going on. There's, there's some extra pitches you were talking about before, uh, down, down the slope slightly. So on this site, we, we obviously have the main pitch. And this is really a hub. If anyone comes down here on a Saturday morning, you'll see it's a real um, hub of football. So we run, we've got two seven-a-side grass pitches and we've got two five-a-side grass pitches. So all of our members up to the age of under 10s will be here and they'll enjoy the benefits of the facility. Unfortunately, when you go to nine aside and 11 aside, we have to then spread out into the yeah. local area. 
and and obviously you mentioned sort of traditionalist people within the club who you know it should be played on grass and and you know I think I think we can probably all agree we'd prefer it to be played on grass but I, I mean I've, I've seen enough matches not just at, at Bracknell but at, at, at other clubs around the country and actually I, I I'm not convinced that it's so it's certainly not a worse game. No, we. I mean, there's a couple of things to think about. We we watched a lot of games, and obviously the the uh, performance and the, the the specification of the pitches have got a lot better over yeah. the years. So it's a, it's a it's a better pitch to play on than probably it used to be. When you go back to QPR and Luton, <laughs> they were playing on hockey pitches yeah, really. Yeah. So that that's a bit scary now when you think about it. Um, so for us, that that was a factor. And the other point was that we've got a relatively young team. And most of these guys now have come through either scholarship programmes or university programmes, and actually they play a lot on 3G pitches anyway, so it's more the old school, older players who yeah. have been brought up on grass, so it gets a less of an issue in the future. And of course, one of the major things will be when the inevitable British summer, sorry, British winter comes along, um, and, and there are most of the games around are washed out. You'll be able to to have games here, and hopefully that might boost the crowd and obviously bring in yeah. some, some additional visitors. It's a, it's a really good point, and um, we've looked at um, we, again we've looked at Bracknell, and it, it's a great. Um, it's a great thing not to be able to cancel games, yeah. and we've we've been. I've gone to games when we've had games called off here. So you look and you think, where can I go to watch some non-league football? Um, and you've got Slough, and you've got Bedfont, and you've yeah. got Bracknell. So yeah, that's also a benefit to us. Be another one on that list is, is no it's certainly no bad thing. I, I must admit, when when I was following a, a club home and away on a, on a regular basis in my in my younger years, um, sometimes actually in that sort of January. Bit, to have a few games off in a row was actually quite relaxing it, it, and, I, and I guess obviously you'll be having games all the time I'm not really sure what kind of point I'm trying to make here it's just, it was quite nice at times to know that you're going to have the odd game off it's going to be a bit more relentless for you guys from this point on I suppose it is but actually we've moved as you know we've moved from the Hellenic League to yes. the Combined Counties League so if in, from a first team perspective there's fewer midweek games yeah the programme is more spread out, the fixtures are more spread out. And actually, I quite like, I agree with you, it's nice to have a break <laughs> so we can actually go and watch some other teams yeah. and take in some more local football. Um, otherwise, it can get pretty relentless um, because I was watching the Ally Counties, the, uh, the reserves and the first team. Yeah. So you, we weren't really seeing any other football. Um, and, and obviously, there's, there's other works going on around the ground. Um, looking at it, there's, there's some quite significant kind of standing areas now, um, sort of stepped areas where people can kind of stand around and, and, and watch the games from, from a decent angle. Um, did Was that sort of thing part of the process or did this pitch come first and then, oh actually we've got a bit of space there, we could do that as well. Was that all hand in hand? or? I'd love to say it was all planned, but in reality, some of it has evolved. Yeah. So we obviously knew we wanted to, to uh, replace the pitch. What we found out when we started the work was we had to slightly move the pitch and we had to level it. I did think that there was a, it moved slightly, yeah. Yeah, it has moved a little bit away from the clubhouse, yeah. um, which has given us some uh, some opportunities, really. So if you look at the uh, the viewing at the clubhouse side where we've had sort of dead space, as in grass banks. Yeah. We've taken the opportunity to convert that into terracing now. And, and, and the pitch is about a metre lower than it was before. Yeah. So what you're actually creating is almost an amphitheatre. So you're looking down on the pitch. Um, so we felt we should create more um, opportunity to view it. So hence the extra terracing. And, and, and obviously just, you've, put, you've probably at this point then thought about what else could we do further on down. Obviously there's, there's currently no cover behind the goals. Is that something that might be might be looked at in the future or is it 
you know, whereas we are at the moment. And because Ascot, you know, you're at Ascot, you seem to have moved on in 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 big stages. So the clubhouse and then the pitch. Uh, you know, is it what what developments can we see? Might we see next? Obviously, get this one finished first. I think. I think. Um, so the chairman doesn't have a heart attack. <laughs> I think we'll we'll get this um, we'll get this project uh, bedded in. Yeah. Um, but you're right. We do the, the, the clubhouse was done about ten years ago, yes. um, and it's we've kept it in good condition. We felt the three G was the next stage. We'll get that. Uh, bedded in and there's been a lot of benefits to putting the 3G in so we've got good concrete paths yeah. uh, footpaths terracing and steps so I think there is a, a lot of potential again in the future um, to look at what else we can do. So obviously uh, in, in terms of uh, the, the race course itself and the guys at, at Ascot Racecourse, yeah. um, Ascot Racecourse is on the Crown Estate, is that, yes. am I correct in yeah. saying that? Yeah. And obviously then you fall into the Crown Estate a little bit like Windsor do. Yeah. So what processes have you had to go through with the Crown Estate? Is Queen there ticking things off for you? Or? So ultimately the Crown Estate have the final say. Yeah. Um, we obviously um, we spoke to them at the very early stages to talk about the feasibility and how would they feel. We got a very positive response so really uh, the project has gone in line with the football foundations um, development and at every stage we've we've moved forward with the football foundation we've kept the crown estate um, through the race course uh, updated as well and to be fair they've been very uh, very good with us very positive and have been very supportive but ultimately it's the relationship with the race course yeah. that there are landlords yeah. uh, but ultimately they then go to the Crown Estate for a final um, tick. And, and of course I remember just one, one of the things you told me uh, when you came to our awards night uh, I think that was it I can't remember now it was in June yeah. um, you mentioned when they had Royal Ascot you had to kind of cover everything up uh, what, what was that? Was that was that different to normal? Yeah. So uh, I mean, during Royal Ascot, the the TV cameras, ITV, yeah. are, are here, and and obviously we're in the sight line. Yeah. Um, so generally, we would always do some changes, and we take our advertising boards down anyway. Yeah. Um, this this year, there was a feeling, depending on the on the the progress, that we'd have a lot of heavy machinery and a lot of piles yeah. of earth which potentially could be seen on yeah. TV. As it turned out, we weren't that far forward anyway, but what we did, we worked with the race course and we put up a big uh, shield, a big fence. Yeah. Uh, it was painted green and that act as a, uh, acted as a backdrop. So there was no real visibility of our work during yeah. Royal Ascot. It meant we had to stop the project for a week, but actually um, in terms of the timing, it didn't really delay us that much. And it must be quite a thrill at times to sort of when when Ascot's on the TV to see um, to see that your your ground your little ground on on the TV like that that must be quite something special at times. It's fantastic, and we you know we, we sit and we watch Royal Ascot, and um, you, you know if it's the straight mile, yeah. it comes straight past the ground, yeah. so you can see the floodlights and the goals generally, um, and it's great to be able to point out to people actually okay. that's where the club <laughs> is. Yeah, you, you mentioned the pitch moving. It's actually it looks to me like it's slightly closer to the race course itself. Um, I think because we've put a, a, a runoff area and yeah. then a, a back fence and, a, and a, a, a sort of pathway, it has got closer. Um, but again, there was a there was a restriction there. So in terms of um, imposing too much towards the race course, we knew the limits we had to work within. 
So, so just sort of moving forward from from this point, then, can you see? Uh, a, it, will there be someone here all the time, like a caretaker or something like that? Is that the sort of thing that's going to be going on? So, what we've already done is we've recruited a facilities manager, okay. and actually, that's a lady called Joe Gavin. So, she's uh, historically been involved with the club. Uh, she's had previous roles, and her husband is a coach of one of right. our Surrey Youth League sides. So, she's now got a, a, a full-time role here. Um, so, she will help. Um, Again, embed embed the uh, the facility, uh, support the players and the members when they come up, uh, look at training, um, take bookings. So yeah. it, it was it was so important we had to put that role in um, in order to get the most out of the facility. Yeah. And does that mean sort of like the, the club itself, like the bar, that that might be open? sort of almost full-time, I suppose. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because we we don't really know. Yeah. So when we when we, when we we built the clubhouse, we didn't really know how it would work and what sort of revenue we would drive. We've now got 10 years of history yeah. of that. With 3G Pitch, obviously, we, we feel we're going to drive some uh, footfall through the club. We're going to have our members training here now rather than a, a, yeah. a local school. So we're planning that the catering and the bar facilities are going to be available. We'll run a pilot for a couple of months and we'll see how that, how that works and then we'll cut our cloth accordingly. But it absolutely, it should generate some opportunities to drive revenue. I wanted to ask you a little bit more, sort of just moving away from the ground and the development. I wanted to ask a bit about Ascot United itself. Yeah. Um, you, you've had quite a successful, probably, I want to say sort of 15 years or so. I, I probably should have looked the dates up of when you came into the Hellenic League the first time. Um, but you know, you've you've sort of you've moved up the leagues. You've established yourself in the Hellenic League Premier Division, at yeah. Step Five, and now, obviously, uh, at the time of talking to you, top of the Combined Counties League yeah. Premier Division. So, uh, you've obviously moved from kind of almost being what was effectively a park football club, no, with no disrespect to the, yeah. the, the Thames Valley Premier League and, yeah. and Reading Senior League as yeah. it was. But you've moved from that up into, and obviously, there's lots of clubs coming up and ground sharing. How how do you kind of how does that work? How do you feel about like some of these clubs that are coming up and ground sharing and perhaps not having their, their own facilities? Is it just a stroke of luck that you did have your own? I think um, our view and my view is that you have to always move forward. Yeah. If you don't move forward, you, you sort of you, you effectively stand still. Um, and we feel, and the club, you're quite right. The first team, the senior team, has always been on that upward yeah. uh, trajectory, and and um, we haven't realised the full potential of that yet, in my view. And I also believe if we've got a, a successful and a positive first team, it it also inspires the rest of yeah. the club. So. Um, so yes, we, we don't worry too much about what the, the other clubs, but we we do look at step five, step six football now, and we have a we have a vision of where we'd like to where we'd like to be. But it's much it's much more about just maintaining the momentum. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you do stand still and you tend to deteriorate. And um, uh, one thing that we I spoke I've checked it was okay to sort of talk about this a little bit, but I suppose historically Ascot has been quite a quite a closed. Club and I, I mean in in terms of you know you kind of got on with your own business and didn't really put didn't anything, didn't talk to you didn't talk, <laughs> didn't talk to me but you know obviously you know and 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 fair enough there there were I I had ties with with other clubs and when when Daryl and I started the website I know um, you know we we were we were known as as being from from uh, from Bracknell and, yeah. and, and obviously the website was about Bracknell when we when we started but 
certainly in the last two years or so, the, the club has really opened up and, and it, I, I, see, I see articles about Ascot, I see stuff in the different local media newspaper, I mean, local media newspapers, if that, yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense as, yeah. a, as a phrase, but what, what, was there anything behind that change? Was it, was it an active change? Because I, I don't, what, I, what I don't want you to think is that I'm, I'm suggesting that you didn't want to talk to anybody, or you, or you, you but in, in a way you just got on with your own thing. Yeah, I think firstly I think it's a very fair assessment. I think we were known for being a little bit um, uh, insular yeah. and not talking, and I think there were two reasons for that. One was because I think depending on who was, who was the first team managers at the time, they'd have a certain view on how they wanted yeah. to do things, and that would sort of lead the way. But also I think it generally comes down to... A, maybe a lack of volunteers so yeah. we didn't have people maybe as, as, as uh, forward thinking in terms of social media in terms of press yeah. um, so when I got more involved with the senior section I initially held that same view but I was very open-minded and I think we've gradually seen uh, yourselves evolve as a, yeah, as a social yeah. media platform yeah. um, so we were a little bit reluctant initially but as we've got to know each other more and I think it's really important that we are open we're a community football club we've got nothing to hide yeah. and we should also you know again no disrespect we want to use <laughs> platforms like yourself <laughs> to promote ourselves yeah. so why would we not do that as long as we do it in a fair and open way yeah I, I think that's fair because it was interesting because the, the thing that one of the things that interests me a lot is, is how important suddenly social media has become uh, to a local football club, I think um, there are lots of clubs who who do nothing, um, and that's that. You know, each cl each club is is perfectly within their rights to do whatever they like, and sometimes you don't have uh, a social media minded person, but it, it seems to have become one of the most important things you can do. Simply, even if it's just posting a half time score and a full time score, it, it it's almost the easiest and quickest way you have to reaching. Uh, reaching people and, and and the fact that that you guys now have someone who, or, or a group of people who are doing that do you, do you think social media has made a big difference to your club because obviously it has a bad name in in a lot of respects for, for all good reasons do you think ultimately it's been a good thing massively absolutely i think i think there's a very important point though i think it needs to be run properly yeah i think it needs to be consistent yes it needs to have quality content including things like pictures and photographs and i'm going to give neil graham and uh, bobby <laughs> mack a name check yeah. there because they've supported us in a really good positive way and also jamie coming from his role in brentford um, football club it's Jamie Tompkins, Jamie Tompkins uh, also understands the importance of social yeah. media and he's been uh, a driver in, in setting those standards so we have two or three people now who are actively involved in the club in social media and, it, and it's really important for non-league clubs at this level to be able to get the message out yeah. we don't have massive resources to pay for um, pay for media or advertising uh, certainly at step five yeah. so social media if done correctly is, yeah. a, is a great platform I, th I think the key word I, I, like you said there was consistency yeah uh, you know just just uh, having said that we've just had a weekend where we've did absolutely nothing because I was <laughs> drinking heavily so you know but, but consistency is the word uh, you know also bearing in mind it's on a volunteer basis I suppose well I guess if you go back to the point you made about us not really communicating with the outside yeah. world when I got involved we had a we had a Twitter page and we had no followers and we were following no one and uh, since since I since we've picked that up we know over three and a half thousand yeah. followers um, so it, within a two to three year period yeah. it can it can be done it can certainly be done um, Neil just to sort of round up I wanted to just focus a little bit on the on the time you were first team manager for a little while yeah and um, you're smiling a little bit there but I, 
how how did that come about? Was that something you always wanted to do? It was actually. If I'm being, if I'm, if if, if from an ego perspective, yeah. I'd started. I've been in the club for 15 years, and I I started the soccer school, and I'd managed different age groups, uh, boys and girls. Moved up to the Allied Counties, where I worked closely with AD for a long time in Allied Counties, who who played a massive part in our yeah. youth development. Then took on the uh, reserves, as it was, and sort of restructured that into an under-23s. Then looked over the fence at our first team. <laughs> so when Jeff and Paul decided to step down, uh, there was two reasons I wanted to do it. One was because I wanted to say I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd gone th- the full circle. But also I felt it was a great opportunity. I wanted to feel what it was like to be a first-team manager for at least a season, to understand the commitment, to understand the challenges. So when it came to putting in the next role, I knew exactly what we needed and what type of person we needed. So I was never going to be the manager for two, three, (laughs) five years. As soon as that right person came along, it was going to go to them. Of course, at that time, some of these young players now were players that came through with you. Uh, Louis, I want to say Booers, I'm never quite sure how how to say his name. So Louis, Louis, Bauer, Louis Bowers, who's um, he was, uh, he's, he made his debut when Jeff and Paul yep. were managers, um, and he's been fantastic. I saw him playing his debut. We beat Thatcham away, and he was absolutely fantastic. And we certainly had had our eye on him to make sure he stayed at the club yep. when Jeff and Paul went. It was tough times, as you know. We were, we yeah. were flirting with relegation, and I felt if we could get through that season and stay up and consolidate, we would kick on. Yeah. Um, and to date, we have. Yeah. But someone like Louis, who's been loyal uh, and has turned down a number of offers to go elsewhere when he could have gone, um, we really appreciate his commitment to the club. And now, you know, we're reaping the benefits. Do you, so ultimate aim, I suppose. You don't have to answer this one. Ultimate aim, step four football. I would assume. I think I think we need to look at it because not because we've got a uh, we're we're on a mission to go yeah. step four step three, but to go back to my earlier point, if you don't move forward, then what's behind you tends to be diluted and and, and lacks quality. So I think we have we we're still thinking about where where we would um, plateau and where what we can achieve. What what's our mm. how do we realise our potential? Um, we certainly wouldn't rule out step four. Um, because you know we can see what's going on at step six and step five, but it's not it's not uh, it's not it's not completely necessary. But we do want to develop and move forward, and we want players to develop here, and we want to continue to follow our philosophy. And, and I suppose at the end of this season, especially, it wouldn't be the end of the world if you were in a Thames Valley league. Really, no. So that's obviously coming, and that's going to be run by the Combine Counties League yeah. as well. They've won the rights to, to do that. And again, what we've seen from Combine Counties is the the travelling has been much easier for us. Yeah. It's a very well run league. Um, having said that, we did have a very good relationship with the Hellenic League, so that should go on record. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a, a Thames Valley, West London type league yeah. wouldn't be the end of the world for us either. Um, just to just to finish off, um, I remember we spoke before uh, again at the at the awards night, and you you mentioned to me because I, I said I said to you Neil, it, the the combined counties leagues up to twenty one teams, and the Hellenic leagues down to nineteen teams. Surely it would have made sense for you guys to go back to the Hellenic league, um, and you were, you kind of explained to me why how that came about and how that was allowed to stay yeah it it was a slightly unusual circumstances obviously we had no choice when we were originally moved into the combined counties and actually although it was a little bit of a shock when we looked at it we had no issue with it 
then quite a way down that down the process of that, Frimley Green won a um, an appeal to get promoted into the Combined Counties Prem. So you had an imbalance. But at that time, we were well through our pre-season. We'd signed a number of players on the basis of we knew where we were going to yeah. be travelling to. So the FA called us and said, look, um, we're certainly not going to enforce anything to you. But if you, if you really didn't want to move from the Hellenic in the first place, we'd give you the option to move. But I think at the time then, time had passed and everyone's mind had focused on the combined counties. So we didn't feel we wanted to change that decision at that point. Thanks. Any, just before we finish, anything you'd like to add? Anything we've missed? I think I think I just like there's a, there's a key message, and we've talked about why and how we're putting the three G in, and I think the main driver for for everyone at the club, including me, although I'm now very much senior section focused, my background and my history is a, is the grassroots of this club, um, and the key uh, the key driver for putting this facility in is to see as many of our members of all abilities boys and girls getting the opportunity to come back to the club centrally and experience the facilities. It, we, are, it, we are ultimately a grassroots community club who happen to have at the moment uh, you know, a successful first team. I'll always continue to try and drive those links together, but it's, a, it's about our membership. No, Richards, thank you very much for speaking to me. Um, pleasure. Thanks, Tom. OK, that was our interview with Ascot United Director of Football, Neil Richards. There have been quite a few changes in the pitch, haven't there, Tom? There have indeed. We sort of spoke a little bit about this um, just before we, we listened to the interview. Um, but the, the, one of the things that I picked up and one of the things I wanted to ask Neil about when we were when we were talking was kind of, Ascot, I think, you know, it's fair to say, we're sort of quite an insular club and I put that to Neil in the first place. And, and he kind of he kind of agreed. They, they sort of they got on with their own thing. They didn't worry too much about what anybody else thought, what anybody else was doing. And and sort of recently over the last couple of seasons, they've kind of really opened themselves up and and become more of a thing. You know, not least through their social media accounts, um, but but just just the rest of it. And it's I think it, it's made a real real difference to how people see that club um, in a much more positive light. They're obviously doing very well on the pitch at the moment, which helps. And and they've you know they've got they've got some fantastic youth team youth teams they've got some fantastic junior teams and it, it all seems to be going in the right direction we could well uh, uh, Neil wouldn't be drawn on it but um, we could well see them a step four next season if they if they go carry on going the way they're going certainly the ground is is going to be set up to to accommodate that so that that could be very interesting as well um, so Rob it's quiz time great. Sorry, just to cut everything off there a little bit. <laughs> I had to turn the page. wasn't sure what was on the other side of the page of the script. Normally, I do a two-page script, but uh, I had to get someone else to print it out this week. And okay. unfortunately, they've done it double-sided, so it right. makes it a little more difficult. No problem. Um, obviously, the quiz that we have uh, is done on... We have the same questions every week for each club. Uh, it's done off uh, Wikipedia answers, so you know, don't shoot the messenger, so to speak. But also, uh, we have this hanging over. So it's like it's all we've been able to talk about, Rob. Is, is, it, <laughs> is it two nil? Is it one all? Nobody knows because uh, the stewards' in inquiries come in. Exactly. Yes, the stewards' inquiry is in. Um, it relates to the record attendance at a Wokingham Town FC match. Okay. And this is from Andrew Bat, who coincidentally will also be the. Uh, person we are interviewing on episode six he was a former editor former sports editor of the Wokingham Times really interesting conversation there so that that one's coming up in a few weeks time but he says 
the record attendance for a Wokingham Town FC match at Finchampstead Road was 3,473 wow. against Norton Woodseats, which is a terrific name for a football yeah. club, uh, in the FA Amateur Cup during the 1957-58 season. Wow. So what does that do to the scores? Well, uh, during that uh, session when we were asking those questions... Rob, you said 2,500 as their record attendance. Did I? Okay. So, was mine higher or lower? I can't remember, <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I said 2,000. Oh. So, that means that over the, over the last two quizzes, it is currently 2-0 to Rob. Good stuff. So, moving swiftly on, because currently I'm losing. This isn't good. don't know what the forfeit is. Um, Probably, there's probably a pint in there somewhere. I, I think, think so, so, yeah. The, the stakes are high. Yeah, say. entry to the uh, next football match <laughs> yeah. or something like that. <laughs> so, uh, first round, um, I haven't brought any pens, which okay. is really, really useful. Um, there is a pen, actually, just to our right. So let's let's, let's use this one pen. Um, okay, what was Ascot United's record attendance at, your, at the racecourse ground? Swap pens, unfortunately. It's going to really eke this out a little bit. Yeah, I think so. Um, I'm going to go for. Okay. Okay. Uh, what was the furthest United have reached in the FA Cup? They haven't been in the FA Cup all that long. No, I so don't think they have. Okay. And, and, and unfortunately, Ascot United is not a club particularly that, uh, that Rob and I are particularly uh, familiar with. It's, it's one of those yeah. ones that's just. There will be lots of these going forward where we just have no no clue and he's sort of guessing a little bit. Yeah. Um, the last one was Maidenhead and I thought I should know those, so I was very worried. Whereas this one, I don't really have a clue. So uh, could go either way. Yeah. This, one, this one's wide open. Uh, and finally, what year was Ascot United founded? Not sure on that one either. The last two weeks, we've both managed to put exactly the same year down. For these. Uh, okay. I don't so. think I don't think that this one goes back too far. I don't think uh, again fa- fairly in terms of sort of com- comparatively. I think they're f- they're much more recent. Um, okay. Much more recent. Well, that's but, changed my answer for me. So. Okay. We'll just have a quick pause for a second while we work out the answers. Okay. So the answers are in. We've checked against the Wikipedia and our old mate FCHD, the Football Club History Database. So, uh, first question was uh, record attendance at the racecourse ground. Rob, what did you go for? I went for 1,000. Nice round number there. Okay, I went for 2,000. Okay. It's interesting, we always tend to go for these big round numbers rather yeah. than a sort of anywhere in between. Um, furthest Ascot United reached in the FA Cup? I went for second qualifying round. Uh, I went for second qualifying round as well. Okay. Uh, and what year was Ascot United founded? I went for 1950. I went for 1950 as well, wow. which makes it three weeks in a row that we've both chosen the same year. That's I realize astounding. It, I realise it makes it seem like perhaps we are conferring on this, <laughs> we really are. Um, so, the question one then, the actual answer was 1,149, and that was against Wembley in the FA Cup. Oh, yes. Uh, I, can't, oh, I didn't write the year down, I was going to check, but I didn't write the year down. 1,149, so that means one point to you. Good stuff. Uh, obviously, given that the rest of the answers <laughs> are both exactly the same, that means you have yet again won, Rob. Oh, wow. So uh, I put just for the for the furthest reach, 
I put second qualifying round, you put second qualifying round. The answer is the first qualifying round, which was in 2016-17, and that was against Tombridge Angels. Uh, there was a, they, they were, I think if I remember rightly, Ascot were, <coughs> ooh, excuse me, Ascot were moments from going into the second qualifying round, and I think there was a late, late equaliser in that game. Oh, right. Um, and finally, yeah, what year was Ascot United founded? The answer was 1965. We both put 1950, so uh, you win... Again. Oh, well, I changed my answer on the last one because of uh, oh, your comment there. Yes, so, unfortunately, yeah. I, I gave that away a little bit. Um, just one little last little fact. Um, Ascot United came into the Hellenic League in the 2007-2008 season. which So, they, you know, they've not really been a Hellenic League club and now a combined counties league club for all that long. So it just goes to show how yeah. impressive it's been and how, how quickly they've risen up the, uh, the table. So, yeah. Okay, so that's it for week three. Tom, have you learned a lot? I've learned an awful lot. Uh, I've learned that you and I tend to just go safe on these answers. <laughs> um, I've learned a lot about uh, Ascot United, and and certainly uh, speaking to Neil, uh, I just you know did the ins and outs of the club and learned a lot about you know what goes on there, which was great. Um, so, oh, it's me now. Okay, uh, in episode four, we'll be speaking to Slough Town manager John Underwood and Neil Baker about their time playing for Bracknell Town in the noughties. Uh, don't forget, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at FI Berkshire, Facebook by searching Football in Berkshire, and of course, you can visit the website www.footballinberkshire.co.uk. Uh, and don't forget, if you've got any questions, queries, comments, corrections, I might have said corrections already, but yeah, let us know. Let us know what you think, uh, and we will keep recording and we'll keep going. Um, and of course, thank you to Ellis Woods at Flair Media for sponsoring the podcast. Bye. Bye.